Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello, and welcome to the episode. Today, we're looking at the intersection of electric heating and the electricity system. I'm going to illustrate this intersection with a simple, but I think quite compelling example. In some parts of the world, there are times when wind turbines are producing too much electricity for the electricity system. So the wind turbines are are paid to switch off. What if we could change the times that we heat our hot water or our homes so this surplus electricity was used and the wind turbines weren't switched off? I think it's a simple but really compelling example and fits in with recent episodes you may have listened to, where we talked with Mixergy and Centrica, Wiesman and Tenet about how they're tackling this issue. Today, we're looking at the same concept, but with two companies focused solely on the controls aspect. And we'll be exploring both the customer proposition and the benefits to the electricity system and more. So let's say hello. First up is Sandra Iacovella, founder and CEO of Thermavolt, based in Belgium. Hello, Sandra. Hi, John. Sandra, apologies if I didn't get your surname right. Uh, it can, uh, you pronounce it for me so our listeners can understand it properly. No, it was very well done. It's uh, Sandro Iacovella, indeed. Iacovella. Okay, thanks, Sandro. Um, Sandro, can you give us an uh, elevator pitch for Thermovolt? Sure. Um, so Thermovolt offers an, an all-in retrofit solution for existing electric space and water heaters. So that that solution, it's it's both hardware and software. It's, it transforms these appliances into energy-saving storage devices. And, and, and more specifically for our end customers, this allows them to, to save on their heating bill in a fully automated way while offering valuable grid services to system operators. Okay. Uh, so from the customer's point of view, they get a control system that that, that saves them money. Yeah. And from the electricity system, they get a flexible, they get a form of storage, they get flexibility. Uh, which they need. Exactly. Yeah. And what, what are you working with, Sandro? Storage heaters, electric boilers, heat pumps, or, or all of those and more? Um, indeed, we, we, we currently offer this service commercially on, on exactly those three types of heating products that you just mentioned. So electric storage water heaters, space heaters, and about 1,450 models of, of available heat pumps that are oh. out there. Yeah. Um, also, since about two years, we, we uh, received a majority stake investment from the Ariston Group. So we are also working on offering these services on their, their factory appliances, uh, in addition to that retrofit model that we have. Okay. So um, it's maybe an interesting story to mention to you and to the, to the listeners that, that the concept of Thermovolt, it, it really kick-started on residential refrigerators. Oh, so, so back in 2015, I was, I was working as a visiting researcher at, at UC Berkeley on control strategies for large pools of thermostatically controlled loads. Mm-hmm. So any type of thermal loads that is it's temperature controlled by a thermostat. So the solution that we offer, in fact, both from a, from a hardware and a software perspective, is able to steer any type of thermostat controlled loads. Um, okay. It also takes into account their difference in size, in insulation, in temperature set points, end user behavior, and so on. Um, the reason it kickstarted with fridges was because an opportunity arose. So on the on the Berkeley campus, there are more than 
1,000 dorm rooms, mm -hmm. and all of them have an identical small fridge. And that, that, that to keep that for the students to keep their beer in. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So depending depending indeed on the content of what was in that fridge, even though there were the same volume, the same brands, their thermal behavior differed quite a lot. Okay. Um, so it was important to take those differences into account, and in that pilot we showed that we could successfully and, and commercially commercially viably uh, balance the Californian transmission system. Uh, on one of their most stringent products. So okay. this really kickstarted Thermovolt. It got us into the into UC's deep, sec, deep Tech Accelerator program and eventually where we are now. Uh, now the, the main focus, the core appliances are electric space and water heaters yeah. because that's where we generate the most value to, to the customer and to, to the grid. And where are you on your journey, Sandra? Can you give our listeners an idea of how many devices, how many products your uh controlling or how many megawatts or some idea of scale yeah so uh, our, our core market is still belgium where we have more than 1000 appliances under control mm -hmm. uh, we're commercially active in three countries and um, we're now speaking about several megawatts of, of connected capacity okay great thanks very much sandra we'll come back to you shortly let's say hello now to our second guest back for his second appearance on talking new energy hello eamon hi john how you doing so some of you may know Eamon Conway, who is Managing Director of Climate, um, based in Ireland, from talking about smart thermostats uh, a while back. Eamon, today we'll, we won't focus on your smart thermostat offering, but your smart immersion controller. Can you tell us a bit about this? Sure, John. Yeah, the smart immersion controller we launched um, formally about six months back. So that's evolved really out of our sort of been in the space for about 10 years um, and really following the, the sort of evolution of where the industry is going towards the electrification of heat and transport but in our case more electrification of heat and when we look at when we looked at our strengths as a business which is basically putting smart controls and facilitate energy saving with the smart thermostat on the heating side and then looked at what the next thing when you looked at electrification options um, we looked at um, the fact that there was so many immersion tanks in situ in, mm -hmm. in UK and Ireland, there'd be over 12 million alone. And we thought, well... Um, and each one of those, Eamon, has got a, a three kilowatt immersion heater or something uh, like yes, that? Yes, three to six kilowatt load, yeah. yeah. And, and the, uh, the, the fact of the matter was that if you can... This, uh, hot water heating is 20% of a, of a consumer's energy bill. So while there's a lot of talk about EVs and heat pumps, and that's all valid, um, our view was that, well, you know, it's it's the lowest cost way to start decarbonization would be to, to try and smarten up the electrification of, of uh, that existing infrastructure base. So that was the genesis of the idea. And uh, we, we kicked off a project about three years ago with, with AirGrid, the national grid in Ireland, um, uh, whereby they deployed a hundred odd of our beta devices uh, amongst some other technologies. And... Um, that that was quite successful uh, in terms of uh, the consumer uptake on the on the usage um, of a project called the turn up and save, and so that, that gives that's the, basically that, that's basically turning the immersion heaters on at, at, at a water at, at times at, at, when it suits the grid. Yeah, at a trigger from the grid. Yeah. yeah. So so that that we got you know some really good feedback on that as been two three years back, and then we decided to go. And, and actually develop the product and, and bring it to market, and uh, that's what we've done. Um, so, it's, what's, the, what's the proposition for the customer? Because for many people with a hot water tank, 
if they want a bath or a shower, they don't know exactly how much water they've got left in the tank. So you have to look at that problem. It's a total guess uh, on that side of it, John. So so from a consumer's point of view, there's a couple of key points in this. One is... um, is that you, you know if you don't have a combi boiler, but for the house for the houses that don't have combis, and there's quite a few of those still. Obviously, say in UK and Ireland alone, there's, there's, there's really twelve million uh, tanks. Um, it's a bit of a guess how much hot water is in your tank. So our device gives you gives you visibility of usable hot water. So that that's in effect an energy saving piece of kit um, uh, by itself. But on top of that, and this is probably more to do then with with how the how the how the consumer can start their journey on electrification. So, like we would know from our own research and from industry research that there's a large cohort of consumers who would like to do something to help the environment. Yeah. But they are bamboozled by heat pumps and bamboozled by um, the the amount of of um, information that's coming at them about words like decarbonization and electrification which we all understand because we're in the industry so um one of the what we're one of the simplest things for a consumer is access to a tank is to go particularly with the advent of smart tariffs and smart um, meters being deployed that you can have a proposition for the customer which a gives them visibility of usable hot water so they so they're in control of it but also you can for a relatively small amount of of a couple of hundred pounds have a device fitted and with a smart tariff, you can heat your hot water using renewable sources instead of fossil, and you've started your journey on electrification, and you're yeah. doing your bit for the environment. So, so that's that's the and 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 with the price of the electricity then being comparative to fossil, it's not costing them anymore with the smart yeah. tariffs. So, so you know, there's many of the 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 utility retailers now have have uh, these type of tariffs where it's cheaper to to achieve electricity rates for overnight charging. And obviously, the beauty of the hot water tank is that it stores the it stores the energy. A great form of energy storage. Yeah, um, you mentioned the trial with AirGrid, the uh, system operator in Ireland. Hmm. How far have you come since then? So, how roughly how many of these smart immersion controllers have you installed, or are you where are you on the journey of scaling that up? Uh, we'd, we'd be in the low thousands now, John, in terms of uh, in terms of deployment. So it's still very early days to say we we've uh, we we brought the product to market formally there about six seven months ago. So um, uh, we're working with we're working with um, uh, utility partners in UK, Ireland, France, and uh, Spain at the moment at, at different levels of yeah. uh, at different levels of deployment. So it's okay. very early days, and, and yeah. there's many other angles to it for 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 the wider industry, which I'm sure we can come on to in the conversation. Okay, thanks, Simon. I'll ask you later on if we've got time about Energy Cloud, which I think is really interesting yeah, story. Yeah, but, but, yeah. Um, come back to that later on. So uh, my third guest today is my colleague and Delta EE expert, Lindsay Sugden. Hello again, Lindsay. Um, thanks for joining me again. You've been on a few podcasts recently. So, Lindsay, when I, we're going to get in a minute to what Climate and uh, Thermovolt are doing in more detail, but when you look across the sector, this intersection between electricity and electric heating, Thermovolt and Climate, Mixergy, who we had on the podcast, are all new companies that have seen an opportunity here. Um, we had Wiesemann, who's an incumbent manufacturer doing this. An interesting Thermovolts had uh, investment from Ariston, another manufacturer. But what do you see in terms of, is it innovation in these sorts of areas coming from incumbents, the big product manufacturers, or from new entrants, or, or from both? 
I think there's there's really a mixture, you know, I think across the industry there's a a recognition that if high if these goals of high electrification, you know, high shares of heat pumps and so on are going to be achievable, then electric heating and hot water needs to be flexible. And this is one of the key things that's driving innovation across the whole sector. Of course, you've got really interesting products coming out from these companies like Climate Thermovolt that we've got on today. Um, but there's also, there is a lot of activity from the incumbents as well, at least some of them um, are really positioning themselves to try and benefit from what is likely to be in future a much bigger, not just a necessity um, for the energy system, but also a, a way to generate value for themselves and also hopefully for the customer. Um, so you've got companies like Vespin, you mentioned, um, then companies, a lot of the companies in the Nordic markets um, where dynamic tariffs have been available for a lot longer have been actively um, you know, creating smart controls that can automatically shift the operating times of electric heating and, and heat pumps uh, to according to those tariffs. Um, yeah, the, I'd say it's a, it's a theme across the industry, but there are certainly some who are ahead of others. And these new companies or newer innovators like who we've got on the podcast today are definitely capturing the interest of some of the incumbents as well. Um, Hopefully shaking up the market a bit and driving activity because, yeah, 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 so there's a bit of a mixed picture amongst the incumbents. Some are active, some are less active. Yeah, they're they're all looking at it in some way. They all know that they have to be looking at it. And if they're not doing something really interesting, they're all talking about smart anyway, which is yeah. the, the first point. The first step, although we need we need talk, but we need lots of action as yeah, well to yeah, hit exactly. our 30 targets. Um, Sandro and Eamon, in one way, what you're doing is quite obvious and quite easy to understand, I think, using that example I gave at the beginning. But I know it's not easy. So I'd like to ask each of you, to get to where you've got to today, what's uh, what's been the hardest part of that? Or to ask that another way, what are you most proud of in terms of what you have in the market now? I believe it's at early stages. Sandra, maybe starting with you. Um, indeed, interesting, but a difficult question, John. Thanks. Um, I think for Thermovolts, it's it's been the, the offering of our fit and forget product. So really having something that does not require any configuration by the end user or by the installer. We, mm-hmm. we saw from the initial prototypes that we had in, in, in the US, but also in Belgium, that 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 did require that, that did result in quite some friction to get to get successfully installed. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, it, it also required from our sites uh, fitting together quite quite a lot of puzzle pieces. Um, now, at the current stage, with, with the solution that we have, we think that, that this is a solid foundation for the company whereby at all times we are in control of this balance between energy efficiency on the one hand and yeah. demand response or, or timing of consumption on, on the other hand. And we, we believe that looking ahead in, in, um, in the upcoming years, regulations will change, tariff will change, that, that this is um, critical to be in control of at all times. So is that the, that's the brain of your optimization then, Sandra? Yes. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. And what, what has been hard about that? Is it, is it to get that optimization working smoothly, both so the customer's warm and has got hot water and the system's got what it needs? Is it the algorithms? Is it the 
the recruiting the data scientists that you need. Tell us a bit more about how you've overcome that. Um, it's it's um, so the, the appliances that we encounter in the field they they differ quite a lot. We mm-hmm. we encounter vessel sizes that that range between fifty liters, the smaller ones in Belgium, up to three hundred liters, the big ones in in France, for example, and. Equally so, the, the the rated power of those appliances differs from from one kilowatt to three four kilowatts. So it was it was crucial for our business model that that we ended up with a solution that could that could scale, um, right. that would really be copy pasteable for us as well. So it meant taking into account differences in 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 vessel sizes, in heating speeds, in cooling speeds, and end user behavior to end up with a virtual power plant that, that is compatible with, with anything we encounter in the field. Yeah, okay. So you're, And is your system automatically learning how these devices behave, how the customers use these devices? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Eamon, how about you? What would you say has been hardest or what are you most proud of in terms of where you got to? I guess there's a degree of pride in being the first to bring a product such as we have with the smart immersion controller to market um, um, uh, from that perspective and, and, and the way the team have, have really you know worked hard to, to, to make that happen. I guess the hardest part of that, John, in, um, in reality is, is when you're bringing products to market in advance of all of the market opportunity being uh, you know, in place, then it's, it's difficult um, you know, to raise the appropriate capital that you would like to do. Because a lot of a lot of investment folks want to see where the money is, so there's a bit of there's a bit of vision required, you know, to to put the cart before the horse, so to speak. So that that bit of it can be difficult. So so I you know that, that's probably what we've what we've found is is that we've uh, had to be really really clever the way we've we've used the resources to to bring it to market and and get it done successfully. And that's things aiming like the the dynamic tariffs not being that widespread when you started, for example. It's 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 a bit of a long story, John. But uh, like you, you can look at it holistically and go: the industry in the future needs to be more joined up from the wind farm at one end to the consumer at the other. And as we all know at the moment, that's that's in all sorts of different silos. So yeah. uh, when when we're into the electrification piece, there's value to be had in, in virtually all of those areas, but not all of it is there yet. And yeah. it, will, it will require, you know, some market mechanisms to be changed, which is happening. Um, yeah. And um, there's an there's a understanding that it will happen, uh, but they're not they're not all there yet. So um, uh, and obviously when they when they become more apart, become more apart, and then the market opportunities are, are the commercial opportunities become more become more crystallized for for potential funders. So Sandra, Eamon talked about some of the frustrations about the value of that flexibility not being there yet. Um, do you do you share those same frustrations? Uh, is that being really hard for you to try and monetize that uh, that flexibility, or to get people on board who share the vision of how it can be monetized in the future? Yeah, I, I definitely share Iman's vision. Um, I've been working on this topic of the residential demand response for for over ten years now, um, so it has been quite a struggle. Um, the thing we now commercially offer to customers is this combination of energy efficiency and, and demand response towards system operators, mm-hmm. but it's only um, a minor portion of the markets, the demand response markets that we are able to capture uh, at this moment yeah. in time. Now, 
we see this evolve whereby more and more ancillary and, and, and adequacy products are opened up to residential demand response. So there's definitely a positive outlook there. But also from the commercial perspective, the end consumer perspective, we see tariffs evolve across Europe, whereby timing is becoming much more important than the, the quantity of consumption, the annual quantity of consumption. Mm. So um, incentivizing end consumers to self-consume their locally produced solar, um, incentivizing them to reduce the, the peak they, they, they cost on the distribution grid via capacity tariffs. Yeah. All these things will facilitate and accelerate our, our solution uh, across households in Europe. And these, these price signals are coming. Lindsay, you mentioned the Nordics earlier. I guess dynamic tariffs have been available in the Nordics for quite some time. And would you say from what you've seen, customers there have got used to that and they're quite comfortable with the idea of their heat pump operating at different times, uh, depending on when electricity is cheap or more expensive? I think that that's true to an extent, but there's also um, there's also a difference between um, dynamic tariffs actually being available. For example, in, in Sweden, it became law since 2017 that energy companies had to offer dynamic tariffs. The law doesn't say that they have to promote them, though. So actually, mm. it's not that absolutely everybody uh, is using them. Um, however, the the feedback that we've had from you know some of the the companies, uh, heat pump companies in particular, who are selling systems that respond to these tariffs, um, is is good. Um, I, yeah, so they, there's kind of tens of thousands of customers who are actively using these with heat pumps, um, and they the satisfaction seems to be very good. Um, the problem with the Nordics is that. The potential value to the customer from the flexibility there is not necessarily that high. So the 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 variability in the electricity price in in the Nordic market is relatively stable, yeah. um, which means that the flexibility, yeah, the variability is not that high. Therefore, the potential value is maybe not as high as it could be if you have the same model in uh, Germany or the UK, for example. So I think they're saving maybe around 5% um, on running costs in Sweden, where they might be able to save 10, 15% even uh, in uh, Germany or the UK. Um, and that's a pretty critical point, I think. Cool. Eamon, Sandra, what have you learned about customers? Uh, Lindsay talked a bit there about customers in the Nordics. You've both got thousands of uh, people using your, your, your devices, your products. Um, have you learned much about customers yet, or have has it been sort of the, the innovators, the the geeks, uh, the early adopters who've been using your products? I, I'll, if I jump on there, John, I mean we have a lot of experience of dealing with the consumers through our mm. through our smart thermostat deployments. Like we've over we've well over a hundred thousand you know consumer interactions on, on the back of that project over the last few years. So. For for me, the the biggest uh, learning point is how how you um, integrate with the customer, and in, in that uh, basically the sales pitch to them, mm. and um, uh, we've learned a lot of lessons on how to simplify that and and try and help our channel partners simplify that to you know to get um, the products installed. And what we have found is that it's it's very much that lots of our customers would tell us. 
geez, I, I didn't realize this thing would be so useful to me. I didn't realize it would be so good. So there, there's, there's still a lack of awareness uh, yeah. in, the, in the general consumers on, on the smart technologies, despite the fact that you know many products have been out in the market for a while. Have you got an example of that simplification, just to make it real for us, our listeners? Uh, well, what, we, what we found is, um, if depending on the product now, so when it came to the smart thermostat, it was basically you know just articulating to them that, uh, 60% of their, their energy is spent on, on space heating. Yeah. And uh, irrespective of the price of the commodity, if the fact you could take control of that more, you know, with, with a smart device every year is, uh, and, and can give you, you know, accurate data of what's going on in your house uh, is a good start point. Yeah. And, uh, and, then, and then it depends what the offer is with the particular utility, which is, which is our main route to market. So not really getting too involved with what the product does, just just more the benefit to them in, in yeah. simple in simple terms, um, and also you know cleverer ways of digitally engaging with them. Um, so, with the advent of COVID, you know we were partnered with some of the utilities to offer like a, a digital uh, video service around the house to offer advice. So, okay. um, you know, so that uh, it complements the the utility sales channels through through like a, a service called a virtual audit, virtual energy audit. Yeah. So th things like that we've learned uh, in terms of the engagement piece, John. To be yeah. honest, um, yeah. and, the the, and then the post-user feedback has generally been, "Wow, this is really good. I just yeah. I, I didn't know I wanted this or didn't know I needed it." But you've got to articulate it in really <laughs> simple—not simple yeah. way, but clear way—and take customers on a journey. Yeah. Um, Sandra, what about you? What have you learned from working with your customers, your ultimate customers? Yeah, we learned uh, we learned similar things that that indeed energy efficiency is appreciated and and is desired by consumers, but it should be should be um, um, communicated to them very um, straightforward and to the point. Um, so we measure on each appliance, we measure the power consumption, we measure the temperature temperature, so we we know exactly what type of excesses or radiations that the system currently has or has. Um, and we know the financial impact of, of what we do and we can communicate that to the to the people. Mm. So not only in percentages or in kilowatt hours, but really in euros. And I, I yeah. think that was a, a big discovery for Thermovolt that that's using that technology we are able to do so. Um, so really informing customers about their behavior and the, the positive impact that we have on their energy bill was, was critical um, to, to get into the market. So both of, you, both of you have a similar point there about communication and making it really, really clear, not communicating about the product and what it can do, clear communication about the benefits. Yep, yep. Yeah, and we see a lot of uncertainty in the, in the end consumer market as well. Like, like Eamon mentioned before, uh, what type of appliance should I get? What should I do with tariff <laughs> X or Y? Um, so we see a lot of uncertainty into, into the market with respect to future energy prices, future... Uh, tariffs or upcoming tariffs so so safeguarding consumers and and helping them making informed decisions about what to do is something we can really do with with the solutions that we that we both put in the markets so okay um it's almost time to bring out the talking new energy crystal wall before that Eamon I'd like to briefly just ask you about energy cloud in a nutshell can you I think it's a really cool initiative from what I what I understand in a nutshell, can you just describe what it does? What it uh, is? Yes, yeah, John. Yeah, Energy Cloud um, was set up um, about a year ago now, and the backdrop to it is is a bit like I articulated earlier about the the challenge of bringing all the stakeholders in the industry together to see to see the end to end picture. 
So they, they, the Gemmoth idea emanated from a, a, an industry uh, called Food Cloud, and Food Cloud was set up as a, as a non-for-profit charity to distribute excess food from the likes of Marks and Spencers, Tesco, etc., rather than dump it. So we looked at the curtailment and looked at, uh, you, know, you know, across Europe, um, but particularly in our own market of Ireland, where it was 12% of, of, uh, of, 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 of uh, renewables and wind was curtailed 2020. And we go, okay, well, well, that is such a waste. You know, it's such a lot of energy. Being, and that's only going to get bigger because as more and more generation comes on, uh, you know, the problems only get bigger. So effectively, uh, we thought, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be a good idea not to waste that energy and, and then could we deploy it in fuel pure homes um, as a start point? So the Energy Cloud is, is a non-for-profit entity. Its members include the, the Wind Association of Ireland, the Air Grid, the National Grid, ESB um, from a network operator point of view, Clued Housing Association representing the fuel poor, Climate from a technology partner, um, one of the universities, Techn uh, Technology University Dublin for modelling purposes, um, Kingspan's also a member from a, from a, a home fabric perspective, and basically, uh, what we're looking to do is take that excess wind that is being dumped and, and deploy it in fuel poor homes. Now, some of the early modeling on this is quite um, positive in that uh, it looks from the university are looking at, at, at numbers whereby uh, something approaching 500,000 deployments into fuel poor homes would suck up 90% of that wasted energy. So you could, that, you, could, you could almost obliterate Ireland's current curtailment overnight and give it to good use. Yeah. And the cost of this, you know, would be like 100 million euros. And you put that in context, the, the Irish Minister for, for Energy um, announced there recently that he was giving everyone in the country a 100 euro credit to help yeah. with the, the energy price. So you could just look at, you know, the funding a different way and give people a sustainable benefit in energy saving and on and on uh, helping them decarbonize and helping the country decarbonize it's a i th think it's such a great analogy with food waste there's energy waste we're switching paying yeah. wind turbines wind farm operators to switch off why not use that waste absolutely uh, yeah. and, and, and it's really good john like we've got our first uh, deployments in, in include uh, we're putting about 50 in at the moment just to get the devices in and, and one of the utilities, uh, some of the utilities are just going to sponsor on a trial basis from free electricity. Um, but the, the, the business model has been pretty much agreed by the team there and I think we want to move it to the regulator in Ireland to try and work out how to get the market to, to, to promote the free electricity and, and hopefully that will that will become apparent over the next you know 12 months or so. Well, best of luck with it. It sounds like you're doing a great job of getting everyone Thank in the you. same room. Thank you. Trying yeah. to make it work. Um, now, let's bring out the Talking New Energy crystal ball. And I'm going to set the data today to 2027, five years from now. Uh, for Eamon and Sandra, I'd like each of you to describe where you'd like your companies to be in 2027. And very briefly, the biggest challenge that you think to reaching that point. Uh, Lindsay, for you, I'd like you to say how widespread do you think this integration of electric heating and the electricity system will be in 2027 and your biggest challenge to overcome uh, to achieve, unlock that potential. Uh, Sandra, let's start with you and then Eamon and then Lindsay. Okay, um, so, so currently we are mainly advocating and promoting static energy efficiency gains that we can we can help achieve for end consumers mm -hmm. um, the demand response it's only accessible to to a part, portion of the market a small portion of the market 
um, what we hope that the world will look like or, or that consensus could be across across stakeholders in the energy system is that there there should be focus on the the dynamic system efficiency the the gains in that domain that we can achieve with with our technology and um, where, whereby timing and its associated cost and emissions um, are are more prioritized and more rewarded than than just the annual consumption. Okay, so you're really unlocking that residential demand response potential. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yep. Biggest biggest challenge, Sandro. Um, the biggest challenge would be then to to follow up or or, or um, be an active stakeholder or facilitator in such a world. Um, in 2027, I hope that we can we can. Um, we're speaking now about megawatts. I hope that by 2027 we are speaking about gigawatts. Um, Ariston is currently across Europe selling gigawatts of electric storage water heaters per year. So um, it is a it is a vision and a mission that we that we hope to have achieved by then. Yeah. Okay. Well, best of luck in reaching that gigawatt scale in five years' time. Um, Eamon, how about you? Oh, in five years' time, John, we would expect that the the market triggers will have evolved substantially um, um, for flexibility for grid services, mm-hmm. probably from policy point of view to incentivize electrification, and that will that would um, you know we would see ourselves then being well on the way to to be to be fairly well scaled up in in, in several countries you know uh, across the world. Um, achieving energy saving and, and carbon reduction and electrification, facilitating that for, for, for millions, you know, on the way to, for, for millions of consumers. That's that's what we see. Now, how far we'll be in that journey, I don't quite know, but I know if all of those things happen, it'll be substantially further than we are now. So getting into the, the hundreds of thousands. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and the yeah, millions, I think, you know, yeah, that, that sort of level of, of, uh, of, of customer numbers would be would be the, definitely the target. Um, the biggest challenge is is the um, it's probably it's two or three interlinked ones uh, ha- having having the, uh, the the electricity market reform um, to create the value streams yep. um, and, and, and policy which would drive you know some of this stuff bringing the industry together uh, so everybody can seize it seize the value and there's value in, in this type of stuff for every every player in the mm-hmm. industry from the from the from the consumer to the re- utility retailer to the grid um, yeah. to the wind farms to governments even, and, so, and I think the other bit then finally would be would be uh, a good bit of consumer education on this, which we would play our part in, and then the the, the, the other bit is really having the finance in place to see you mm-hmm. through the see you through the journey, John. You know that's the yeah. challenge, is the scale. Yeah. So unlocking the demand response potential. Uh, getting that customer proposition right, so customers are biting your hand off for this product and the finance to enable you to to do all of that yeah Uh, absolutely absolutely yeah thanks Eamon uh Lindsay last but not least um your views on how widespread this will be and challenges yeah um I I think it will be a lot more widespread than it is um, at the moment and we've estimated that there's about 200 gigawatts or more than 200 gigawatts of available potential um flexibility uh, from heating, cooling, hot water systems that are installed in, in Europe at the moment, but less than 1% of that is actually being used for any kind of demand side flexibility. So five years time with you know the right customer propositions, um, perhaps 10%, that's perhaps optimistic, but I think that's necessary as well. Um, 
so yeah and i think the biggest challenge is getting the customer proposition right and that's yeah you know as, as has already been said um so it's not it's not a, a upfront cost for end users and the value comes back to them or a decent savings you know the experience to date has been that actually the what comes back to end users is not isn't really enough to to get them on board you know hopefully with these the, these uh, new propositions from climate and and thermal you i'd be really interested to see what what kind of savings come back but yeah i think increasing that is uh, is the key thing thanks very much lindsay i agree i think we need that whether where we get to uh not sure but we really need to unlock this potential uh, flexibility if we're to decarbonize our electricity and energy system as we need to by, by 2030. Uh, so we'll leave it there. Thanks very much, uh, Sandro, Eamon and Lindsay. It's been fascinating discussion and great insight on what you've been doing. Uh, congratulations, good luck for the next years. Um, and thanks for your contributions today. Thank you to uh, everyone listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and look forward to welcoming you, you back to another episode of Talking New Energy next week. Thanks and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com.